The day that Boise police cleared out the homeless tent camp near downtown, the people who lived there were freaking out. Brady Hester was busy long before dawn. I am packing my stuff because I'm being evicted from my house, which is my tent. I got too much invested in what I've got to lose it. Many residents just walked away from all their possessions for fear of what the police would do. Zipper Lockhart stayed by his tent for a long time, practically vibrating with anxiety. Who are these, who are these people we don't know? I'd like to know who these people are, and I want to know what they're working for or who they work for. And you can't come down here and just, you know, not, not, you know. You all right? Yeah, no, okay. I'm not. I'm, I'm ready to play out the handle. Some people threatened resistance. We are tired of being pushed around by the police department. We're tired of being pushed around by city council. We're going to let everybody know in Boise that the homeless are people too. In the end, there were no incidents between camp residents and the police. It went as smoothly as the city could have wished. But maybe Jojo Valdez summed up the anxiety best. I don't know where we're going to go. Me and my husband have nobody but the people in this valley. This is our only family. In the spring of 2015, people experiencing homelessness in Boise came together and built this tent village in an alley called Cooper Court. It was there for months before it started getting intense media coverage in the fall. I covered it for KBSX 91.5. Boise police cleared Cooper Court in December of 2015. The camp and its elimination put homelessness in the forefront of Boise's collective conscience like nothing else had in recent memory. As the anniversary of the camp's clearing was approaching, I wanted to find out where the people who lived there are now. I'm Adam Cotterell, and this is Some of the Parts, a podcast from Boise State Public Radio. There's a count of homeless people done every year for the federal government. It showed more than 2,000 homeless people in Idaho in 2016. About a third of them were labeled unsheltered, meaning they sleep in cars or tents or on the street. More than a third of Idaho's homeless people live in the Boise area. 125 of them were unsheltered in the 2016 count, which was done one month after residents of the tent camp were scattered. By some estimates, more than 130 people lived in tents and makeshift shelters in Cooper Court, though some who were there say fewer than 70 people slept there every night. Nearly all of them were drug addicts or had a serious mental illness, or both. I spoke to about a dozen former Cooper Court residents last October, November, and December. They all said about the same thing. At least one former resident, maybe more, had died. Some were in jail, a small handful were housed, but the vast majority of them were still homeless. Of those, about half lived in shelters and about half were still on the street. I was the third tent in. My friend and his girlfriend slept in that tent. They had their storage tent right next to it and I slept right here. Freya misses the tent camp. She says she felt accepted there for who she was and that that's been a rare thing for her. Freya sometimes identifies as a trans woman and sometimes as a gay man. Sometimes she goes by her birth name, Mark Walker. Freya is standing in Cooper Court, right where she used to sleep. Cars go by on the freeway connector. And all my friends right here. And so I felt safe. I felt comfortable. Everybody's saying that what a horrible place Tin City was. I not one time felt scared. Not once. I felt safe. I felt like I was in the right place. I felt like at home. 
Freya was scared of one thing. Her spot was right by the off-ramp. She says that three times while she lived there, cars lost control exiting the connector and crashed nearby. I visited the alley the morning after one of those crashes and saw the SUV-shaped hole in the back of a neighboring architect's office. It's lunchtime, and Freya heads over to Corpus Christi House. Corpus is Boise's day shelter. Its back door leads to Cooper Court. The alley also wraps around Interfaith Sanctuary, one of Boise's three homeless night shelters, but the only one that takes men and women. At a table in Corpus Christi's crowded common room, Freya says these days she sometimes sleeps at a nearby skate park or on the sidewalk. I'll sleep in front of Corpus sometimes, and I'm still on the street because I won't go stay at the shelter no more. Freya is shelter resistant. That's a term used to describe people who just won't sleep in homeless shelters, often for mental health reasons or because of drugs. Freya has problems with both of those. She did go into Interfaith Sanctuary last December when the snow got bad, but other people will camp out no matter what. As much as Freya misses the tent camp, she said something that really surprised me. She thinks the police action that cleared Cooper Court was good for most of the people who were there. She says it certainly was for her. And I can't sleep in Tent City no more, I'm better off. If Tent City would have stayed, I would have, I would have died already. Because when Tent City was around, I grew very, very comfortable. And the more comfortable I got, the worse I got off in my, my drug addiction, even though I still do use now every once in a while. But I was never as bad as I was in Tent City, and I was headed down a road that I would have not recom- um, came back from. Back in 2015, when I'd talked to Cooper Court residents, they tended to downplay the presence of drugs. They'd say things like, sure, there's some drug use here, but not everyone is doing it. Now the former residents say almost everyone was doing drugs. Maybe I should be more specific. It was meth. Crystal meth was the drug of choice in Cooper Court, preferably injected. Most everyone I've talked to recently who slept in the alley says it was everywhere. They could step out of their tents and get it in minutes, sometimes seconds. And Freya isn't the only one who told me that if the police hadn't put an end to the camp, they think the drugs would have killed them. Hi, Jody. Well, hello there, sir. On a wet night last October, Jody Peterson welcomes me into Interfaith Sanctuary. Peterson is one of the directors of Sanctuary now, but in 2015, she was mostly working on her own with people living in the alley. She takes me into the cramped main room. People are checking in for the night, eating soup, talking, all in a space the size of maybe a high school classroom. More than 160 people might squeeze in here before bedtime. Peterson scans the room and points out people who used to live in Cooper Court. Anastasia Parkinson is good friends with Freya, but Parkinson doesn't remember Cooper Court quite as fondly. It was a place for me to do my drugs and stay dry and not worry about rules. Did you like it there? I thought I did at the time. Um, I have since then been to recovery place and been sober for 11 months, and I would not live there ever again (laughs) if I can help it. When we spoke, Parkinson had been living at Interfaith Sanctuary for a couple of months after she finished rehab. We were in a cramped office for sanctuary staff. A lot of people were were angry when the police came in and and kicked everybody out, but you think it it was the right thing to do? It was. I came back and my friend was sober and in a place and just had a baby and she goes, I got sober after they broke that up. And I was like, that's good, because then she found out she was pregnant. Parkinson thinks if the camp had gone on much longer, she'd have died of an overdose. 
One other thing that surprised me in doing this story is that a year after Boise police cleared the tent camp in Cooper Court, there are still people sleeping in the alley. Not like it was, no tents or lean-tos made of salvaged odds and ends, but some nights, a handful of people huddled against the wall of the freeway. Just outside Interfaith Sanctuary, I find David Powell. He's waiting under a structure like a picnic shelter to stay out of the rain. It seemed like it was an unusually rainy fall. On this night, Powell is hoping to get into Interfaith Sanctuary. He was a Cooper Court resident in 2015, but had been at Sanctuary for much of 2016. A few nights previously, he says, he lost his place for a rule violation. So, he slept in the alley. Out that gate, right next to that wall. No blankets, just weather again. Oh, it's my doodle. Oh, yeah, dude. It's all right on the tough little part. <laughs> Excuse me, but that's, that's the way I put it. I'm tough little part. If you didn't catch that, Powell says he nearly froze his butt off, but he's a tough old fart. Tough old fart or not, Powell says he spent the next night in the hospital. A lot of former Cooper Court residents are easy to find because they're still there. They spend their nights at Sanctuary or River of Life down the street, they spend their days at Corpus Christi House, or standing in groups by the skate park. But the person I most want to talk with proves hard to track down. Then one day I'm chatting with people at the skate park, and a man says he has her number. In fact, he just calls her up. He said he wants to talk to you, it's like a year after. Okay. Okay. A few days later, Jojo Valdez is taking me down some narrow stairs to the basement of a Boise house. Run down, but it's a house. She greets one of her 12 housemates who's cooking at a little stove. I talked with Valdez more than any other Cooper Court resident in 2015. You heard her voice at the beginning of this, wondering where she would go after the alley was cleared. A year later, she's here. Valdez doesn't want me to say where precisely here is because the house is not exactly up to code for so many people. Come on in, this is my room. Valdez and her husband live in this room. There's a shelf of food, another of books, a tiny TV. You can hardly see the walls because of pictures from magazines, a big piece of fabric printed in bright colors. There's a calendar with a picture of Tinkerbell. It looks more like the room of a teenage girl than a couple in their 40s but it's a big step up from living in a tent. You can sit on the bed. There ain't a whole okay. lot of spots to sit down there. Walk. Okay. If, Let me throw my tennis shoes on. That would be all right. Yep. When the camp was going in Cooper Court, some people called Jojo Valdez the mayor of Tent City. As we do slow laps around her block, she says there wasn't a vote or anything. It was just a nickname. Kind of like a lot of them called me Mama Jojo because okay. I kind of look after everybody. I still try to, but so many of them are hard to find anymore. And we've lost a few to death and um, exposure, that kind of stuff this past winter. It's not surprising that Valdez was a leader for other alley residents or that she's managed to get a roof over her head now. Unlike most Cooper Court residents, she wouldn't be classified as chronically homeless. She's been a meth addict for more than 20 years, but in that time, she had long periods on the wagon. And for most of that time, she worked and had an apartment and raised her kids. And she says she's even gotten a few semesters of college done. 
2015, she says, was the first time she'd experienced homelessness. Valdez says she's been sober now for a few months. She has her basement room and she's working for a temp agency. But she says sometimes she misses living in the alley. I miss the people. I don't miss the tent. I don't miss the cold. The cold I don't miss. But I do miss the people. I miss knowing how they are. Sometimes I feel really disconnected from them because I am housed and, you know, so it's not quite the same. I mean, I still talk to a lot of them, but so many of them are scattered. I just, I miss them because we were a family. That sense of family was something that Cooper Court residents mentioned to me a lot while the camp was going, and it's one of the reasons a lot of them still miss it. I guess it kind of makes sense. When you're homeless, you're defined to a large extent by not belonging. The word homeless says this is a person with no place. Valdez says in Cooper Court, she belonged. I miss understanding, I guess. And, and people from Cooper Court, we got each other. We got why we were there. It didn't matter what your story was. They accepted you for you. And in everyday life, that's not how it normally is. Valdez does not think clearing Cooper Court was the right thing to do. She says despite the availability of meth and the drug dealers and other criminals who would come in to prey on the residents and a lot of other problems, being part of a community was so important to the shelter-resistant homeless who lived in the alley that the city should have left them alone. Instead, they scattered them so they had no one at all. The police handled it, I think, the best they could. They were told to do a job, and they did that job. Um, and I can tell you it tore some of them up. I seen the emotion on some of those police officers' faces the day they had to come in and kick us out, and it was really hard for them. But I think the city could have handled it better. I still think they could handle it better. Um, they could very easily set up somewhere for Tent City to be. Every homeless person and former homeless person I talked with about this says Boise needs a place for the people who won't go into a shelter a place where they can camp without racking up citations. Even people like Anastasia Parkinson, who's glad Cooper Court was disbanded, say Boise should have a designated camp, one that could be kept safe from unscrupulous people. If it were up to me, I don't know where I'd come down on that. I spent enough time in Cooper Court in 2015 to find the city's arguments for clearing the alley pretty compelling. All those people sleeping, crammed into that narrow space, lighting fires to keep warm... It was a disaster waiting to happen. But I've heard strong arguments for and against having designated homeless camps. Though I guess it doesn't really matter what I think. The city of Boise has been and remains consistent on this. It will never allow an institutionalized homeless camp. One person who has had a change of heart on this is Jody Peterson, the homeless advocate you heard welcoming me into Interfaith Sanctuary. I would have said yes a year ago to alternate options of shelter for people who were in Cooper Court. I wouldn't say that now. I wouldn't create a Cooper Court again. Okay, this blew my mind. With her current role at Sanctuary, Peterson is part of the establishment now. But back in 2015, she was kind of an agitator and definitely persona non grata with City Hall. Back then, Peterson was calling for either leaving Cooper Court alone or creating a better camping place for the shelter-resistant. Here she is in December 2015, the night before the eviction. 
She's breaking the news to Cooper Court residents that the city is kicking them out. They have no other ideas for you other than you need to go into shelters. You guys have created a way of being able to take care of each other. I think it's really important that you don't panic and scatter. For months before that night, Peterson led efforts to make life more tolerable in Cooper Court. She started by bringing in water when it was hot. When it got cold, she got people to donate tents and rounded up things like sleeping bags and blankets. City leaders did not want her doing that stuff. I think their idea was that if it was too uncomfortable in the alley, the people would go into the shelters. Peterson still says helping the people sleeping in Cooper Court stay warm and dry was the right thing to do. She still sees the sense of community the residents created as a positive thing for them and still thinks the city was wrong to disperse them. But now she echoes a lot of city talking points, especially that the people in the alley were constantly in danger from people who would come there to victimize them. I'm so much more aligned with the city because I know what's possible and what's not possible now. I do think if we could have locked down Cooper Court, we could have made that work temporarily. But that's, that's done. That's not going to happen again, right? We're not going to get that opportunity again. Peterson says a designated camping place could work if it was secure. But she says keeping people safe in a place like that would take a lot of resources that should be used to get them out of homelessness permanently. She says Boise citizens always step up to take care of homeless people's basic needs, like food and clothing. But Peterson says Boise's greatest need is for programs meant to end homelessness. After it cleared Cooper Court, the city announced plans for just such a program. Peterson wants to work with the city to make that a reality. But she acknowledges the immediate need to help the shelter-resistant is as real as it was in 2015. Homeless people are still camping out in Boise. They're just more spread out. Cooper Court was cleared on a Friday. When I came into work the next Monday, I could clearly see from our newsroom window that looks down on the Boise River a tent. It was pitched in the undergrowth near the water. Despite the leaflessness of winter, it was probably invisible to someone strolling on the greenbelt just a few yards away but from the other side of the river and a second-floor view, it was obvious. A short time later, Boise police officers carefully picked their way through the brush. I watched as they dismantled the tent and carried it away. Some of the Parts is a podcast from Boise State Public Radio. It's written and produced by me, Adam Cotterell. Paul Stribling oversees it. Lacey Daly was the music designer for this episode. Our theme song is by Up Is The Down Is The. Logo designed by Julia Green Illustration. I am gonna make it through this year If it kills me I am gonna make it through this year If it kills me You know, when I first told Jojo Valdez we were doing a podcast, she thought it was a bad idea to turn our backs on our loyal radio listeners. It didn't matter what your story was. They accepted you for you. And in everyday life, that's not how it normally is. Next time on Some of the Parts, Idaho has more people of Basque descent than any other state. So if you're from Idaho, you probably know at least a little bit about who the Basques are and why they came here. 
And chances are, what you know about the Basques is different from what everybody else in the world knows. People think that bats came here because they were some world-renowned sheep herders. Well, that was not the case. Why Idahoans tell different stories about the Basques than anyone else. Available starting April 20th on some of the parts.